Genesis chapter 28. And we're going to read verses 10 down to verse number 17. Amen. The Bible says, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones uh, of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. And, and he had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land of on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. <clears throat> your descendants shall also be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Everybody say, I didn't know it. I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. This morning for a brief moment of your time, uh, there's no clock. So I found that we... We're more succinct when there's no clock. What a paradox. But I want to talk to us about the sovereignty of God's grace. The sovereignty of God's grace. Last year we talked quite a bit about sovereignty and that's on purpose. All of our teaching is directional. It is not teaching to just be heard. It is not teaching to just be enjoyed. We're not after that was a great sermon. It's teaching for you to uh, ingest, to digest, and whenever we digest something, uh, it gives us energy in our real lives. In a literal sense, food provides energy so that we can go. And the word, when digested into the spirit, provides energy so that we can go. In other words, when God says something to us, he expects something out of us. He doesn't give us his word so that we can just say it was good. He gives us his word so that we can have the spiritual energeo, which is the word for energy in Greek, energeo, so to go and to materialize the word. Everybody say materialize the word. 
James says it something like this. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. We can't get to the place where we hear the word of God and we sum it up and conclude it to just be a good sermon. I don't want you to hear the sermon. God doesn't want you to just hear a sermon. He wants you to get a message. And that message is to be acted upon, to be lived, to be materialized, which means at some point, whatever you hear being preached ought to come out in your life in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Even the things we learn about God ought to affect how we approach God. It should change how we see God. It should change how we worship God. It should change how we live for God. And it definitely should influence what we share about God. Because you do know that God wants us to share about him. He wants us to share him with others and not keep him to ourselves. So we're talking about sovereignty. And again, let me reiterate that when we're talking about God's sovereignty, we're talking about that thing about God that some days seem fair and some days seem unfair. God's sovereignty is that aspect or characteristic of God that will make you love him and sometimes make you question him. Sovereignty, it's simply this, that God without consultation with man does whatever God chooses to do. And what makes this such a hard message is because when things happen, and God allows it to happen, or he even pushes it to happen, and it's not favorable to us, we want to question God. That's the human response. Why? But nobody questions God's sovereignty when his sovereignty is on our side. Oh, come on in this house. You got to follow me. Because sometimes God's sovereignty isn't necessarily on our side as we think. And then sometimes God's sovereignty is spot on. When it's not on our side, we cry for a thing called justice. We march and we protest and we say no justice, no what? No peace. But when it's on our side, then it's okay. There's no protesting. I've come to tell you today that whenever God's sovereignty, which is his characteristics, his characteristic that says, I do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with no questions asked, I don't have to consult for my own reason. Whenever that sovereignty, watch this, is on our side, there will always be somebody who has the right to protest. Are you understanding this? Whenever God's sovereign grace favors us, there will always be someone who thinks it's not fair and the decision that God made about you is not fair to them. So we need to be careful for crying out for justice on everything because we are a people that don't live on justice. Nobody in here lives on justice. Or you would not be here. Now we might live on the justice of man, but none of us in here can handle full throttle the justice of God. Because as soon as you lied, you should have been zapped. As soon as you cheated, you should have been zapped. 
As soon as you did the wrong thing on a Friday night, it's over. As soon as you talked about somebody that you didn't like, it's over. As soon as you had a selfish way about you, that's it. And so we are not only products of justice, but we are products of grace, but we are products still of God's justice and not man's. And why we're going to this text is because Jacob is an interesting character. Jacob, whose name has changed to Israel. Follow me now. You need to know what just happened. Jacob, who we're dealing with in this text, who has this dream and God is dealing with and God is making him all kinds of promises. In the previous chapter, he just cheated his brother. He cheated his brother out of his birthright. In other words, his dad was blind and could not see and he was about to die. So his dad told Esau, his brother, who was the firstborn. By the way, you do know the firstborn gets the, gets the blessing. The firstborn, right? Abraham was the firstborn son of Terah. Right? Read Genesis chapter 11 around verse 22. He was the firstborn son of Terah. In that day... The one who was born first got the blessing. What did the, who got the blessing? The firstborn. Abraham was a firstborn. Isaac was a first legitimately born. You do know Isaac had a brother that was born before him, but it wasn't through, it wasn't through Sarah. It was through Hagar because they couldn't wait on God. And so they said, God has taken too long in an essence and God made us a promise and we don't see the promise. So, uh, Sarah, why don't you go and mess around with the handmaiden? Uh, you know, well, Sarah said to Abraham, go mess around with the handmaiden and let's give her a baby and that'll be our baby. That wasn't God's will. So the first legitimate child between Abraham and Sarah was Isaac. So that made Isaac the firstborn in that house between Abraham and Sarah. So you have the firstborn Abraham, the firstborn Isaac, then you get to Jacob, and Jacob was the secondborn. So by the way Old Testament scripture reads, it should have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau because those are the firstborns. But we always hear and pray about to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the first thing that's not fair. Is it fair that the way Jewish culture is, is that the firstborn get the blessing, but God keeps using these three names in, 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 uh, in sequence. He uses Abraham, he uses Isaac, and it's not fair that Jacob's name should be there because Jacob is not the what? He was not the firstborn. Not fair. He shouldn't, it should be, what should it be? Based on Jewish law, it should be Abraham. Oh, you get it, you get it. So already we have the unfair, the shysty. And the reason why it's not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is because Jacob cheated his brother out of his birthright twice. The first time he did it, when his brother Esau was in the field, he was hungry, he was hunting, and uh, Jacob was slick about it. He said, you hungry? How hungry are you? I mean, you real hungry. I could just imagine Jacob going up to Esau with something to eat. Here he is, biting on a Big Mac. 
know his brother's hungry, biting on the number one, eating fries in front of him. You hungry, aren't you? This look good, don't it? He says, I tell you what, you about to starve? I will give you this lentil soup if you sell me your birthright. And it wasn't enough for it to happen once. In chapter 27, when Isaac was old and couldn't see, Jacob and Rebekah schemed and I, Jacob ended up dressing like Isaac, smelling like, I, smelling like Esau, dressing like Esau. Why? Because he wanted the blessing. He knew his father couldn't see, so what, they, what he did is he dressed the part. And when his father was, was talking to him, he said, come here, let me smell you. And guess what he smelled like? He smelled like Esau. Why? He was wearing Esau's clothes. Not fair. Not fair. And here, I need to make it real practical so that you don't get lost in the history. How many of us are products of things not fair? Now, here's what's comfortable with people. The comfortable position is to be the victim. There's a whole market for people with victim mentality. For people who always assume the position of the one that was being done wrong to. There are whole peoples that operate on victim mentality. And when you operate on victim mentality, you walk away feeling like everybody owes you something. But I'm not, I'm not saying which, how many of you are the product of what's not fair. I'm not saying you're the victim. I'm saying, how many of you produced something that wasn't fair? How many of us had got something we didn't deserve to get? How many of us was not the best person qualified for the job, but the person qualified for the job, the, the boss didn't like them, so they skipped over them and they got you? How many of us got the job even though we did How many of us cheated on our resume, put things on there, that we never did, jobs we never worked, and got the job, not because of us, but because we made our resume look like it belonged to somebody else. That's basically what Jacob did. He got blessed, not because of him, but because he made how he feel, how he smelled, how he felt, how he, how he, how he cooked, look like somebody who deserved the blessing. Now again, how many of us are products of injustice or creating unfairness? All of us are. All of us are. And the reason why I'm calling this the sovereignty of God's grace is because you don't understand grace until you really understand what you deserve. Are you understanding this? You, it is impossible for you and I to understand God's grace toward us if you are totally aloof of what you really deserve. So the, the Bible has these stories in it, right? Of all these people, Jacob, right? Jacob didn't deserve it. He stole his brother's birthright twice. When you begin the chapter 28, you see that Esau is salty. He is salty. His father tells Jacob, uh, his father tells Jacob, uh, Isaac tells Jacob, listen, when you go look for a wife, don't look, don't look for a Canaanite wife. You don't find a wife that's of a strange land. The Bible says Esau heard it, and guess what he did? He went right to the Ishmaelites, which is where the Canaanites come from, 
and he picked two wives. Because sometimes when we feel like we've been dealt with unfairly, we rebel. Is there anybody that knows what rebellion tastes like? It's doing something not because it's in you to do it, but doing something as a protest to prove a point or out of your bitterness or anger. So God, watch this, Esau heard his father tell his younger brother who stole his birthright, now when you go marry, I don't want you marrying any strange women. And so Esau heard it and he said, you know what, I'm going to do just that. Like if I were to say, y'all better stand up right now. Some of you who were about to stand up and go to the bathroom anyway will forfeit your bladder's relief because of somebody demanding. It is an eight and children. When an older sibling says, come over here and do it. It can be what daddy said. It can be what mommy said. But I'm going to rebel against your word because I don't like you. I don't deal with you and you're not my mama. There's something innate in human nature that wants to go against order. That wants to go against what's right. So that's Esau. He's rebelling and he, he, he just messes up. And uh, Jacob is on his way to get his wife from Laban. And the Bible says he gets to a place, an on-the-way place. And he, for, by the way, the place of that he's that he had got to is called Luz. Everybody say Luz. I'm almost done. Watch it. He gets there and he takes a rock and uses it as a pillow, which I'm glad we live in these times. And I, I, don't, I just can't see how that's comfortable unless your head is contoured a certain way that makes that comfortable. But he uses a rock as a pillow and he falls asleep in this place. Now in this time, they were used to God being at a certain place, meeting them at a certain place. God being available at a certain place. They would go to meet God at a certain place. And it wasn't this place. But he lays down, he has this dream. Now listen, watch the dream. The dream is of a ladder that starts on earth and goes into heaven. And angels are coming up and down the ladder. This is the dream he has. Then the dream comes with some words from God saying, I'm going to multiply your descendants. Your descendants will be north, south, east, west. And in this dream, he's seeing all of this favor. Now, don't think the favor came. Here's what I don't want you to walk away with. I don't want you to walk away with the idea that God rewards rebellion. God doesn't. When we sin, God doesn't like it. But what God is doing is he's honoring his word to someone else. Jacob is a mere beneficiary of a promise that God is keeping with his grandfather, Abraham. This is the sovereignty of grace. That you're not always living off of your own prayer life or your own behavior or your own decisions or the things you did right or the thoughts you had right or the choices you made right. No, no, no. Some of us are blessed because God is keeping his promise to our big mama. 
Some of us are blessed the way we are because God says, I'm going to honor your prayer. And if I, in order to keep up my word, in order to honor my, your prayer and what you requested, I will be long suffering with your grandkid because your grandkid does not deserve what you prayed for. So I will wink or close my eyes or blind myself to his nonsense and I will not let even him mess up my honoring you you see how that works sometimes we pray and we think yeah I'm all right our lives are broken not in order and we say I done prayed about it it may be that some God may not have heard some of our prayers in a long time and we think because things are moving and happening that that was because God heard us. It is very possible that while you and I are in the middle of our rebellion that God is doing blessing us for somebody else's sake. I had a praying mama. Who am I to walk around thinking, yeah, I, I made it this far through, through prayer. I prayed all through my childhood. I went through teenage, my teenage years and I was praying, I was praying. And I dismissed all of the rebellion and the shystiness and the wickedness that I committed. That, it is very presumptuous to assume that I, or any of us make it on our prayers alone. God is so faithful that he will bless you because your mama prayed about it. He will bless you because your grandfather prayed about it or, or your parents prayed about it. And here, Jacob is a recipient and that is the sovereignty of God's grace, meaning it doesn't have to look fair to man. It doesn't have to be fair to people. It doesn't have to be something that people are used to. Jacob was used to seeing God and meeting God at a certain place as was family tradition. He gets up out of his sleep and his conclusion was that surely God is in this place. Now notice that he saw a ladder from earth to heaven with angels going back and forth. Keep that. That's important. He gets up after seeing this phenomenal thing, this, this gateway to heaven that started on earth. And he comes to the conclusion that I'm not where I usually see God. I'm not presently where I usually deal with God. But I have to conclude that truly God is in this place. He calls that place Bethel. Everybody say Bethel. Beth means house. El means God. So what he's doing is he's calling that place the house of God. Not because there was anything, any shrine erected. Not because there was any special thing there. The only thing that was there was the rock he laid his head on. Yet when he woke up out of his sleep, he named that place, which original name was Luz. He called it Bethel. Because Bethel 
means house of God. But he wasn't talking about a physical house. He was talking about an encounter with God. His encounter of, with God made him call the place where he had that encounter the house of God. His dream where he heard from God and God talked to him and they interacted and he had this celestial encounter. He wakes up into uh, his present reality and he says, I'm going to call this place the house of God because God was in this place. Now watch this. Bethel is not this building. All of us should have been to Bethel before we came here on today. Bethel could be Walmart when you were standing in line talking with God about something going on with your children. Bethel could be, uh, could be the gas station. Wherever that interaction with God is, wherever that time where you have a moment with God, that is your Bethel. So guess what? Bethel came to church this morning. How it should be is you've interacted with God here and there and there. And if we did like they did in the Old Testament, there'd be a rock at Walmart and a rock at the school and a rock at the gas station and a rock at the doctor's office and a rock because this is where we encountered and had a conversation with God. Don't come into the church building expecting Bethel. God is expecting Bethel to come to the church building. Meaning I don't want to hear from you the first time when you come in this place. I should have been talking to you at Bethel while you were conversating with me or conversing with me. Bethel comes to church. We are Bethel. You and I are the house of God. You and I is, are the place where God wants to meet. And when no one meets with God, and no one converses with God prior to coming to a place like this, then this is just a building. Are you understanding this? Your Bethel could have been your last crisis when you prayed longer than you ever prayed in your life and you saw God open up some doors and give you some answers. It's that place where there is a connect from heaven, from earth to heaven. That place where there's a ladder where you see that even though heaven has not necessarily been available to me, but there's a way that God provided me from earth to get to heaven. The first time this happened is Genesis 11. You remember the Tower of Babel? The people were of one mind and they all spoke one language and they came up with this brilliant idea to them that what we're going to do is we're going to build a tower and we're going to build it all the way up to heaven. God didn't want that. They were trying to get to heaven their own self, by themselves, through their own means. So you know what God did? He confounded their language. They all began to speak a different language and they couldn't finish the project of trying to build something up to heaven. And now you have Jacob having this strange dream where there is a ladder that starts on earth, goes up to heaven, and the angels of God go up and down it. And when he wakes up, he says, this is the house of God. The house of God is the, and the gateway to heaven because the house of God is the means for the gateway to heaven. You are not invited to heaven where you have not experienced Bethel. There will be no one who enjoys eternal bliss that has not had a Bethel first. 
The Bethel is the place to get to the gateway. Well, let's see who the real Bethel is. Everybody go to John chapter 1. Say amen if, if you're with me. You say, I need something for your life. Here's the thing. Don't miss it. This is for your life. What would I be saying if I was jumping straight to the practical? What I'm saying to you is you are God's house. Not only God's temple, but you are God's house. And what makes you God's house is that you're in the place is your propensity and your habits of having communication with God. And when you don't have communication with God, you are not fully vested in God's promise. You are the Bethel. If you are part of the twice-born community of faith, if you have been saved, you are Bethel. The gateway to heaven. Watch this here before we read John. You're the gateway to heaven. How many of us want our friends and family to make it to God? God is not sending another Jesus. We are the Bethel. And if people are going to make it to heaven, guess who they're going to go through? Guess who God is going to use? He's going to use us. He's going to use those that are saved. Church has become so commercialized nowadays that we expect for people to come to God through our charisma, through our swag, or maybe even through our property. God says that's fine, but there's nothing that will serve as a substitute to you being the instrument by which people come to God, by which people come to Christ. The devil has lulled many of us into a slumber that says, this is your place of worship. Come to your place of worship. You found yours, let them find theirs. So much so that rhetorically, how many of us are still inviting people that law because if the house of God is not showcasing the gateway to heaven then the house of God is not a movement and there was movement on the ladder the house of God becomes a monument let come and see where we worship. Come and see this place. But the place has to be Bethel. Because if it's not Bethel, it is not where God lives. So watch this in John chapter 1. Here's the instructions. Now, somebody said, well, that's, that's kind of hard. It's not. We have to be peddlers of the truth. We have to let people know and understand that God just don't want you to come to a building. He wants you to be the building. He wants Bethel to come to church. He wants Bethel to be at 7979 East R.L. Thornton. So Jacob saws, sees this ladder, and Jacob was shysty. He was a schemer. 
But God chose to let Jacob carry the promise. Why? Was it fair? No. Was it fair on this side? No. If we had our way, it would have still been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. That's what's fair. But God is so sovereign in his grace that he doesn't take a poll to see who thinks it's fair. He's gracious to whoever he wants to be, no matter what we know about him. <laughs> you ever see somebody you know about get blessed? Y'all not talking back to me. Y'all not talking back to me. I, I think those seats are too comfortable. Let's do a quick exercise. Everybody stand. They are. That, we got these AMC 30 seats. I get it. Everybody stand, right? Everybody, everybody participate. So I can finish this sermon. Everybody stand. I get it. I was feeling it. That's why I stood doing the singing. I was like, oh, my God, what's happening to me? I need this chair at home. Everybody all right? Now everybody sit. Somebody took a sip, one of the praise leaders took a sip of water. Whatever you got to do. You know I can see you, right? There's not some kind of tinted window between you and I. I see you. Now, again, is it fair for you to see somebody you know all about get blessed? Do you think that's fair? Not according to man's standard. It wasn't fair that Jacob should have it. He was a schemer. He was a thief. That's not fair. But God's sovereignty in his grace says, I can use whoever I want to. Now watch this. We get to the New Testament, and I'm just about done. And we get to John chapter 1, beginning at around verse 46, 44. This is when Jesus was choosing his disciples. It it says, yeah, now Philip from, was from where? Bethsaida. Read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Philip finds Nathaniel and says to him, now this is Jesus choosing the 12 guys that will follow him. Right? You would think he would choose aristocratic people. I mean, doesn't it make sense to choose people that were that were financially astute? To choose people that were sat on city council, that had position and power, and choose people based on the things that we put our trust in, other than God. To choose doctors and lawyers. I mean, today they say that's how you build a great church. You choose people based on profession. You choose people, you reach people that are professional. And, and no, thank God for professional people. I'm not putting down being professional. I wish every young person go and finish school and keep going until there's no other degree you can get. But don't trust in it. Because that's impressive to man. It's only impressive to God if you're letting him use it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So here, 
Jesus now is choosing these men. Philip goes, gets Nathaniel, says, oh, we have found the Messiah. Read. Whom Moses and the law and also We found the, the Messiah who Moses and the law was talking about. Read. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus of, watch this, Jesus of Nazareth. Everybody say of Nazareth. Okay. <clears throat> Let me help you understand and get the feel of what's going on here. We found the king of kings. We found the Messiah. We found the very son of God. Jesus of Pleasant Grove. Y'all not? Okay, okay. We found the king of kings, the one who will carry the scepter, the scepter of Judah in his hand, and will have that scepter and rule with a scepter, and he'd be crowned the king of all kings, Jesus of Dixon Circle. No? We have found the Messiah. We found the Messiah, the one who is to come and overthrow all kingdoms, and he shall be great. And those other kingdoms will bow down to him. Jesus of Flint, Michigan. Y'all feeling that? You see, you, you, see, you see this and you say, well, I don't get it. Watch this. Read. The son of Joseph. Uh-huh. And Nathaniel said to him. Look what Nathaniel says. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Y'all don't see that? The audacity to be prejudiced. The audacity to be condescending about Jesus. Now, with some of us, if we were Jesus, we'd have said, no, nah, let him sit there then. That's all right. I don't need you. Oh, you're going you're gonna to approach me like that? You're going to talk about my hometown like that? By the way, we won all of the soft, local softball games. I don't know what you're talking about. And this is the attitude toward Nazareth. Nazareth does not show up in the Old Testament. Hmm. It's like an unheard of place. Low-income people who make things with their hands as jobs and just a whole lot of nothing about Nazareth. And, and, and Philip says, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, what? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Surely this can't be who you're talking about. Nazareth of all places, not Jerusalem, the city of David, the city of peace, not Galilee, not Bethsaida. I would have taken Bethsaida, the house of fish. I, that would have even been better. Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He said, what are you saying? I see the theological. Don't you know all of us have places where we've been in our lives where justice would say, can anything come good out of that situation? I'm not talking about a neighborhood. I'm talking about that situation you lived in. Uh -huh. Amen. I'm talking about that struggle you have. 
Can any good thing come out of that struggle? Can any good thing come out of that addiction? Can anything come out of that bad temper? Can any good thing come out of that mistake? Can any good thing come out of that pregnancy at 14? Can any good thing come out of that low income situation? Can any good thing come out of the person that can't manage his money? Can any good thing come? But God doesn't leave us alone based on how people see us, but God deals with us based on his sovereignty and we've been given grace in spite of no good thing. So now there's Nathaniel's prejudice. God chooses somebody prejudiced for his team. God chooses somebody who has a problem on his team. Look at us. Look at our problems. I'm not going to start naming them because you know what they are. You see, with Jacob, it was a parent problem. With Nathaniel, it was a sophisticated problem. So this is covering a span of people with apparent problems. You know, the apparent problems. You come in the church smelling like weed and gin. I can't believe. You wear your pants saggy. Got a tattoo on your neck and your forehead and your face. That's sophisticated. That, that, that's how sophisticated problems look at a parent problem. They just need some good home training while ignoring their arrogance. You see that? My problem is sophisticated. I'm prejudiced. I I don't like certain groups of people. I I, I don't like them just on sight. I'm prejudiced. I'm I'm, I'm condescending. Right? When somebody's excitedly telling me about what God is doing for them, I said, oh, that's nice. (laughs) Because I'm conceited and arrogant. My problem is sophisticated, but both of them, both types still gets invited and called by the Lord. If you look at the end of that segment, oh wow, here it is, here it is. Verse 51, the last verse, finally Nathaniel got through all of that. Jesus says, you know what? When Philip was bringing Nathaniel, he says, I saw you while you were under the tree. First, he calls him a man in whom's mouth no guile is found in. Jesus starts breaking down that I knew you before you saw me. I didn't look you up on Facebook because there was no Facebook. I didn't look you up on Instagram, Snapchat, or anything. I just saw you. As a matter of fact, I saw you so much that I knew where you were sitting. I saw you. And this is important. It's important for for us to understand that God knows. That heightens grace. If you forget that God knows, you think that God, you're you're just getting hooked up and maybe you're sliding in. But what makes grace grace is that God knows. He saw you. He heard the conversation you thought were just between you and that person. He saw you. He heard the comments and their attitudes in your heart that you had toward certain groups of people that didn't look like you. He knows that you're prejudiced. He he sees you. He sees you. I'm going to tell you something. It's one thing for somebody to pick you if they don't see you. That's why there are so many broken marriages today. Because people marry before they see them. 
Y'all not going to help me. Holy Ghost, help me. So guess what? You get midstream into the marriage and find out this person really don't like you because they're just now seeing you. So their choice begins to feel like a mistake. God, Jesus told Nathaniel, what I'm about to tell you is not a mistake because I saw you. I saw you and I still want you. I don't have to pick you. I don't have to call you. There's no rule saying you got to have so many disciples uh, who are like this for affirmative action's sake. I saw you while you were under the tree. I know you. Every attitude you have, I know. Nathaniel had to come to the conclusion, yeah, you, you're the son of God. And then in verse 51, Jesus said to him, truly, 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 truly uh-huh. I say to you, I say to you, you shall see the heavens open. Whoa. You're going to see the heavens open. And the angels of God ascending. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Yeah. Anybody remember seeing this somewhere? You will see the angels descending. On the son of man. Not on a ladder. Because that ladder that you read about in the law and in the history of Israel, that ladder was me. And what does that look like? It looks like what he says in John 14, 6. I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. If, if you want to get to the Father, the only way is by me. It also says that God's grace is so sovereign that there will be people who will climb that ladder of the Son of Man that other people think don't deserve it. Aren't you glad that God doesn't take a vote on whether or not he accepts you? Aren't you glad that God doesn't lay out all your business and say, by show of hands, who would accept this person? Aren't you glad that God chooses you even though he saw you? That's why we get hesitant with people and we get close with people and some of us are suspicious about people coming close because we deem that it's easy for people to love us and to choose us and to accept us as long as there are certain things they don't know. But the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who came down here and was born in a manger and died on a cross, the one who is the king of kings, lord of lords, know, knows every jot and tittle about you, every detail about you, all of your mistakes, all of your bad habits, all of your nasty ways, all of the things you struggle with, all of the things that conquered you in the past. He says, I know you and I'm still calling you to be on my team. It's like a basketball team. I know you got a leg that you drag, but I still want you on the team. I know your right arm has arthritis and you may not hit every shot, but I want you on my team. You know what? Growing up, I remember uh, when we would play basketball at St. John's Park in, in Brooklyn. All the kids from the neighborhood get together. 
and there'd be two captains, and usually they were the ones that played the best. They say, okay, let's, 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 let's pick teams. And so what you had is two main little guys. You had all these little guys standing on the peripheral. And you start seeing something. He said, okay, I got, I got David. Okay, uh, I got Keith. Okay, I got Kevin. And the number around that, those two starts shrinking. And after a while, when you don't hear your name, Y'all not going to come with me. You still standing there and David and Kevin and Keith and Joe and all those people been picked. When it gets down to the wire and it's just you and one other person. If you, watch this, if you know you don't play like them, I'll tell you what I did. Yeah, I'll sit out this game. It wasn't just me sitting out. It wasn't just me sitting out that game. I knew that between me, between me and Georgie, Georgie got hands, he got skills. But isn't it beautiful to know that when Jesus accepts us, he says, I'll take him, I'll take her. I'll take her. And when you're standing around comparing yourself to other people in the church and you think, surely I'm not going to be to God what what they are to God, God says, no, 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 don't walk away. You're not going to sit it out. I know all of your faults. I know all of your failures. And guess what? I still choose you. Come on in this house and be my Bethel. Be my Bethel. And the invitation this morning is you are not so far gone for God to accept you. You're not that far gone. Brother Hamilton, the preacher, you don't know what I did. I've got some thoughts that are not right. God says, no, you're not too far gone. But you have to believe. Because if you don't believe, it's not that I won't accept you. But because of your unbelief, you won't accept me. Amen? Amen. Long, long, long time before Carol Hamilton, I sabotaged many relationships because I couldn't fathom how this young lady would like me. And so I pushed the young lady away, and she did. Apparently, she pushed some young men away. Her or me, I may, might have been me. <laughs> but we sabotage what we think and assume will be a failure. Because we'd rather face the pain of our rejection of them than the pain of their rejection of us. Because in our mind, there's nothing about us that they should be attracted to. I know there's some people in the audience that sabotage some relationships. Why do you like me? Why me? I mean, what, what do you see in me? And when we don't believe it, no, they try to use it. It begins to make more sense that there's an ulterior motive. And we do the same thing with God. 
I messed up. Why, why would God love me? And God says, before you existed, I loved you and chose you in Christ. Before you develop the bad habits and the secret sins and all of the things you do that you know are not of God and you've even run out of churches to run to because whenever a church talks about sin, it makes you uncomfortable. The only reason why God is telling you about sin is because he wants you to appreciate grace. Because without sin, grace becomes common. And he also wants you to know that he's not asking anybody else about whether he's going to accept you. So stop looking at other people and listening to what they say. No, Jesus is calling you. He's saying, I want you to come to me. Now, there are spiritual forces that want to keep you where you are. And sometimes, sometimes the spiritual forces are embodying persons sitting around you. Especially when your lifestyle is tied up with theirs and they're not ready to stop. Oh yeah, they're not ready to stop. But if you change, then they're on a limb by themselves. So they're cloaking. Man, that's some good preaching. That's good. Hey, we're going to go eat at first. No, stop being distracted. God is calling you. He's saying, in your situation, I want you. But I'm not going to force you just like I choose you. You have to choose me. Are you willing to leave what's worse for what's better? Are you willing to leave what seems better for what is better? Jesus says, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give, give you rest. And how do you come? Do you believe? Do you really believe that Jesus died on the cross and that was his way of choosing you? Do you believe that there's only one way to God? Here, stop it. I know what the devil just, oh, I know it. I heard him. You know what he just told you? You need to get it together first. Mm-mm. I caught it. I caught it. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for discernment. I caught it. Here's the answer to that. You can't get it together without God. Yeah. That's a trick. That's a trick. That's the biggest lie. The devil is the father of lies. So you can't expect a person whose seed always produces lies to somehow produce the truth. He's a liar. So everybody stand. We're not going to sing yet. If you are here and you want to come to Jesus, are you willing to turn from yourself and turn to Jesus, to turn from your sins? You say, I tried, I tried, I tried. Yeah, but you didn't have Jesus on your side. It doesn't count if you didn't have Jesus on your side. Make the decision, and the Lord has give you the strength to follow through. Are you willing to come and be buried in the waters of baptism? Today is your day. And right now is your moment. And don't let the devil take it. Why is God being gracious to you? Because he's sovereign. And he chooses to be gracious to you, even though it's not fair. You stop comparing yourself to other people. 
Oh, my goodness. There's a song that says comparison kills. Yes, it does. Some of us live our whole lives in one big competition of, with people that ain't thinking about us. We're competing with people that don't have us on their mind. And we think we're winning, but there's no competition going on. You can't win if it's not a competition. So stop looking at other people and God is saying, you, you come. You come. Come believing. And if you really believe baptism won't be a problem, that's not an issue. Just like if you believe there was $1,000 in that first room just for you, going to that room won't be an issue for a lot of you. Now, some of you, you may have it like that. Well, I'm the $1,000, that ain't nothing. But for most of us in here, if you believe that you won $1,000 and it's in that first room to your right, and some of you are even going to go now, but this is an illustration. <laughs> but if you believed it, going to the room is not an issue. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and then he came and he chooses you, then being baptized is not an issue. That's just my obedience. So if you need to come, I'm going to ask the leaders to come forward. Maybe there's somebody here.